morning. I uh, get the privilege of talking about Christian family today. Um, you saw a picture of that. Thank you to all of you that gave and sacrificed and gave time and, and money, resources um, to the Allen family. Uh, they were in the, the first service, and now we get to talk about what does Christian family look like, what should it look like. Um, and we're in a vision series. This is number four of, of six in, in the vision series. And if you don't know what a vision series is, it is just simply a series that's several weeks in a row to remind us of who we are and what we're doing. Here's who you are. Here's who you've been made. This is what you should do. Here's how you should behave. Where are we going? And so who God has made us and what he's called us to do. So the church is God's people saved by God's power for God's purposes. Very simply laid out. And we've discussed what's on the front doors of the lobby as you come in. Know, connect, and live. Know the gospel. Know the gospel story. Know Jesus. Not just with your head, but with everything that is within you. All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That that is how you know him. You know the gospel. We connect in gospel relationships. That just means through a Christ-centered lens, we learn how to have a relationship with each other. And then finally, we live out the gospel. Uh, simply, and, and Joey talked about that last week, through the power of the Spirit. We live this Christian life in, every, in the everyday, not just in the big things, but in the small things. And so we do that primarily, not only, but primarily through the identities we're given of missionary, family, and servant, or, or a family of missionary servants. And so over the next three weeks, counting today, we're going to really focus in on our identities as a family, our identity as a missionary, and our identity as servants. And today is family. I say identity uh, because that's who you have been made to be, that it is who you are. It is not just what you do. It's what you do because it's who you have been made. It's an identity. It's not something you do so that you will get an identity, so that you will get some who-ness or some being out of it. It just simply flows from who God has made us. Now, to be blunt, you are in the family of God because Jesus was forsaken by God. That is, that's the gospel story. That is the, the radical message of the gospel, that Jesus made you okay, that he reconciled you, brought you near, when we deserve to be put far away forever from God, that he has brought us near to the Father because he himself was rejected. He took on our sin, the sin of the world, and how precious. And if you're a child of God, I do not have to shout and yell and use sermonese or charm or any kind of earthly power to get your heart to go, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have to do that. Hmm. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start with what the Bible says about your relationship with God. I, I got the privilege of getting family. I'm, I'm so excited about this one because it's just been on, my, it's been on my heart. What does it mean? to be a son or a daughter of God, or, or said another way, what does it mean to have God as your father? And then we're going to take connect, we're going to connect the, the, the idea that if God is your father, or he's the father to each of us, then by definition we are related to one another according to the Bible. It's not like we're family. Well, it's, you know, we're, we're like family. No, you're not like family, not according to the Bible. You are family, but I think we live as like we're like family, rather than understanding the reality that the Bible calls us to treat one another because we are family as family. Now, the concept of father, for many of you, unfortunately, may not help you understand how God views you. Um, whether you had a good dad or a bad dad or an absentee dad, um, 
The truth is, everybody needs a better dad. I tell my kids this all the time, this week. And the fact is, God is not a reflection of your earthly father. He's the perfection of your earthly father. In fact, uh, this kind of hit home this week that my kids were kind of listening to it a little bit because my Abby, my youngest, came up to me and she said, um, I have the best mommy in the world and the second best daddy. And, and it, it took me a second. I'm like, well, hold, hold on a second. <laughs> okay, I got it. That is making, you're exactly right, sweetie. You're exactly right. I think that we deal in theory with Christianity sometimes, and, and the idea only with what the Bible says. And we may be so used to hearing that, that we're no longer stunned by the fact that God sees us as his children. So you're not stunned right now. You're not all going, <gasps> and just, you know, maybe you are in your hearts and you're very good at showing it. We, it happens. How does that happen to us? Nothing in me and my children, right, I, no, there's nothing in me that needs for my, my children to perform well on a test academically, uh, to be good at athletics, to win a beauty contest, or to be really popular for me to love them. They don't have to do that. What do they need to do for me to love them? They needed to be born. They were born. I didn't take a class. I didn't sign up for a YouTube channel special. It just happened. They were here, and I'm like, I, I love you. I want to care for you. I want to provide for you. I want to protect you. I want to make sure that you thrive. And even when they blow it, I still love them. My emotions may change, but my love for them will never change. I remember it was about eight years ago, and uh, our family was over at, at Sean and Leah Carter's house. And Jack, and this is a story about Jack. Jack was two at the time. I'll never forget this. It was expensive. And so um, we, we were upstairs eating, and, and all of a sudden Lily uh, comes upstairs and says, Jack Jack's broke, broke the TV. And I was like, you know, I think, Sean, I think y'all had just gotten this TV like two days earlier. It was brand new. It was a plasma. That was back when everybody wanted the plasma. There's no such thing as LCD or flat screen, you know, all that stuff. And Lily, this is like a big deal. We didn't have one. We had a big tube TV that I took two people to lift and get it. And so... I'm like, okay, you know, they probably hit input one or two. I mean, what does Lily know? She's just a little kid or whatever. So uh, we're going to go down. So we go downstairs, and she was absolutely right. <laughs> Jack had taken some kind of ballerina ribbon thing that the ribbon had come off of it. Who knew that it had a weight in the end of it made of metal? And he just hit it perfectly fulcrum, and it hit the, hit the screen, and it cracked. And all the plasma just leaked right out of it, and it was wasted. And I had to go buy to Best Buy the next day and buy the Carters a TV. Now, Jack was two. <laughs> Did that change the way that I felt about my I felt about my son? It changed my emotions about the moment. I'm like I'm like ah! I don't have any money. This is going to cost me a fortune. It did not change the way I felt about him one bit because he's in my family. At the end of the day, he puts his feet under the table. At our house, I can't unmake him my child. I don't want that to be possible. And to say that God feels like that about us is staggering. You know you're not just forgiven. Although you are forgiven and you should not be, 
You, you shouldn't just be legally acquitted uh, of sins, but you are. You stand righteous, declared righteous before God. But you're not just adopted either. I mean, you are adopted, and that's an amazing thing. That means you're chosen. God wanted you, and, and he brought you into his family. But it doesn't stop there. You see, it's still better that we are delighted in. <laughs> that's amazing. Delighted in because of Jesus. Here's a rapid-fire list of what the Bible says about that. I'm going to start in Zephaniah 3.17. It's one of my favorite verses. And it is true and apply, applicable or applicable to you because through Christ you are God's people. And this is a prophet speaking about God's people. He says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That one never gets old. Psalm 18, 19 says this. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me. Why? Because he delighted in me. Psalm 147, 11. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. The Lord takes pleasure in you because of Christ. Are you like, what? Does he know what I think? That's amazing. take advantage of that. Don't take that for granted. It's meant to fuel us to learn to run after him with everything we have in us with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's for you to love and for that love to grow deeper and deeper and deeper, for deep to call into deep. Isaiah 62, 4, you shall no more be termed forsaken, which is what you deserved. That is what you've earned. That is what justice would get you. And your land shall no, be, no longer be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her. It's a miracle. And her land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. 1 John 3, verse 1, we see, see what, what great love the Father has lavished upon us. Lavished is from the NIV, the ESV says given, right? That we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And so we are. It's celebrating the fact that you are a child of God through the death, burial, and resurrection and belief in Jesus and no other way. I've heard it said one time. I think it was in the movie Luther. We teach best what we need to learn most. And I think that's true for me. It may not be best, but it may be at least I teach most what I need to learn most. <laughs> to be more accurate, I want you to bury yourselves in this idea that because of Jesus' work and his death, burial, and resurrection, that if you are his child, that God is delighted in you. Because, here's why, because that will lead you on a path to seek him more than anything else in your life. That satisfaction will come no other way this deep, this full, than in him. I didn't really believe that growing up. It was taught to me, but I didn't believe it. I knew it in my head, but my heart said, nope, no way. And I believe that many of us here don't really believe that either. I mean, not, not like we should, not like we can. We know the facts of the gospel. I bet everybody in here could probably articulate Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and he's the only way to heaven. You could read Acts 4.12, you read John 3.16, and we would quote some verses, and we would be correct. We know the lyrics. Do we know the tune to the gospel? 
Here's a, here's a quote from a book I'm reading right now um, called uh, Gentle and Lowly. It says, I believe many Christians, that's in my brackets, he says this, they confess Christ with their lips, but generally avoid deep fellowship with him out of a muted understanding of his heart. And he goes on to say, we project onto Jesus our skewed instincts about how the world works. Human nature dictates that the wealthier a person, the more they tend to look down on the poor. The more beautiful a person, the more they tend to be put off by the ugly. And so without realizing what we are doing, we quietly assume that one so high and exalted as God has difficulty drawing near to the despicable and the unclean. Sure, Jesus comes close to us, we agree, but he holds his nose. That's what I really believed. He loved me because he had to. And that's it, not because he wanted to. Yes, he had to. He had to die because if he didn't, I deserve hell and I get it. And so he did have to die. But I never got the other side of the cross that said he wanted to. He loves you. He delights in you. He came after you in your sin. He didn't wait for you to clean up. He said, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. I knew that, but I did not know that. And so I want to say, let's dive in. Let's understand this, that because of the cross, you're adopted and delighted in as a son and a daughter of the king, that you don't just get handed an adoption certificate to put on the wall that the judge of the court, because of Jesus, gave to you. You get a hug from the judge who happens to be your father. Totally different. It changes your life and your heart, the way you see things, the way you receive things, the way you live in the world, the way you receive people, the way you do relationship, the way you do marriage, the way that you parent. The way that you have friends, the way that you value yourself, you must learn to celebrate this more. This is undeserved grace and mercy, and it's astounding. Being a child of God is the primary identification and identity that the New Testament gives to the believer. It's not missionary. It's not evangelist. It's not apostle. It's child of God. If we don't find our acceptance there, then we will find it somewhere else. It may be in how you look. It may be in your Facebook status. It may be in an ability or a talent that you've been given that you've got to, you're really the best at this. It may be in a job that you're able to do or in a job that you want or wealth that you have or wealth that you're going to get, improving yourself. It may be what you drive or grades or the house you live in in the neighborhood where you are or maybe it's your friends. It depends on your age, because your age, as your age changes, you change idols out. But what never changes is the motivation for having them. We're all the same on the core level, no matter our age. Children don't know how to mask it. Adults are experts. And we learn, and we've got to learn that being loved by God, so being loved by God, can fill our hearts so much that needing others to approve us or, or getting the grade you need or the boyfriend or the marriage or the family and presented the way you want, that all of that stuff just starts to seem less and less appealing the more and the more that you have of God. You start to see that you do have a heart that was created with an infinite need 
And the only place that an infinite need is satisfied is in an infinite being. And there's only one of those. We'll call that wisdom. You were made to please God and not man. And when you please God, what you find out is that you're satisfied. And we try to satisfy ourselves using all these other things and even using God. But when we understand that when we please God, all the, everything, everything else falls into place. That we are satisfied, that we do find our joy in Him. The 2 Corinthians 5.15 is right, that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Christ. And when we do that, then in not being selfish and being other-centered like Christ, we are actually the most fulfilled we'll ever be. It's an upside-down kingdom. doesn't make sense. Shouldn't I be happy when I do things that make me happy? You don't know what makes you happy. You think you do. Your, your wanter's broke. <laughs> do what the Bible says. It really, it's really true. It's amazing. I feel like I'm convincing myself all over again. To, to get this truth, for this to make sense, to make a dent in your heart, you've got to be born again. To understand the things of the Spirit, you have to have the Spirit within you. This is what Jesus was telling Nicodemus, who was so drawn to him and his truth-telling and his miracle abilities and his ability to, to deliver people from demons and, and to heal and, and to teach with such uh, authority. Nicodemus is like, what, what is going on? What is different about you? And Jesus says this. He says, truly, I, I say to you in John 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He can't see it. Not only can you not experience it and walk in its power and watch it be advanced, you can't see it. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You can't see it. You can't get in it. You don't, you don't get it. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. It's physical. And it's nothing more. It's empirical. It's only what you can see, taste, touch, and feel. But that which is born of spirit is spirit. It's flesh plus everything else that the world has and what God has created, seen and unseen, and it's all there. Do not marvel at I said to you. You must be born again. He's like, this is just a fact. You can't see these things unless you're born again. It's about a new birth. That's what family is about. That is familial language. Birth is family language. Radical transformation, being a new creation. Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17, uh, is, is Paul is talking about uh, no longer the old is gone, the new has come, and you are now a new creation. He's using that creation language from Genesis, when ex nihilo, like out of nothing, God made something. And out of what you were, God made something new. Like that's how different and new you are. That's what Paul is trying to do when he says new creation. And we, we read that verse and we memorize it. We just, well, I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm like, no, 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 no. Creation means from nothing to something, right? I mean, this is a miracle. That's what's happened in your heart, death to life, from darkness to light, right? From chaos into order and makes sense. That's what is happening when we're realizing we're new creations, that we're family. There's this fullness of life that you totally miss out on. And I, and I think many of us think we get saved, and that's kind of it. We, well, that, was like, that was the apex of the Christian life. I got, I got baptized. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. How wrong. That's great. You just went through the door. 
<laughs> I mean, that was like day one. That's like creation, you know, day one. I mean, that, that's where you're just getting started and, and seeing. You know, you don't just read the Bible a little bit, pray some, and try to be good so that when it's all over, heaven will be a reality. That's not the Christianity Jesus talks about. Jesus doesn't even use that kind of language. I don't know where that even came from. I'm sure I could do a historical search. This is not the abundant life in the Spirit, abiding in Jesus, dwelling uh, with Christ, experiencing our union with Christ that the Apostle Paul talks about. We've got to move on. We've got to go. It's like, this, this is how we are to be family. Like, you can't be family unless you're born again because you don't have the tools. You don't have the equipment. You don't have the power. If you think being, a Christian, uh, being in a Christian family is possible without power from somewhere, I mean, outside of your human resources, you're wrong. You may tolerate one another, but you will not love one another the way that God calls us to love one another. And if you think being a parent or a sibling to people in your own biological family is difficult, transfer that to outside of your family. They're not in your biological family, and you don't have near the, the motivation to be at peace and work for unity in those relationships, and then realize that God has called you exactly to that. <laughs> I can't even get along in my own family, and God's calling me to love my enemy as myself and to love all those others, and we work for, we're eager for the bond of peace. And I'm like, you can't do that on your own. That's what God's called us to do. Listen to what Jesus said, speaking to his disciples just before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is in John 13, right at the end. A new commandment I give to you, disciples, that you love one another. How, Jesus, to what quality should we love one another, right? Just as I have loved you. You've heard that verse a lot, haven't you? You're like, (laughs) let me back up up and read that again. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Not 10%, not the way you want to, not the way you think is fitting, not uh, giving as, as you believe you've been given. Love them as I have loved you. How did Jesus love them? To the end. By this, all people will know that, this is why, by people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you love one another well, Jesus gets credit for that. Because there's no way, as different as we are, that we could actually love people the way Jesus loved us unless we experience his love for us and it spills out. We don't have the tools. And he knows that. Kind of the way you're made. If God is your father, if God is is your father, and God is your father, and God is your father, that makes us, by definition, family. He is our father. He's not like our father. He is our father. You are not like my brother. You are my brother. And so we are brothers and sisters to the degree that God really is our father, experientially. And we're called to treat each other as family. That's what the Bible, the Bible doesn't even choke on those words. We've just kind of gotten used to it, theorized it, domesticated it, and dealt with it. And then I become Brother Jamie. I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. I'm not sure that means what you think it means, you know. <laughs> Do we really believe that, or is it some churchy language and a subculture we've just kind of come up out of? Here's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 4. This is a family. Here's how we act. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, 
He's speaking to the Christians. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. Now, Joey talked about that last week. This is living out the gospel. It's uh, Philippians 1.27. It's Colossians 1.10. It is here in Ephesians 4.1, right? It's to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of the Lord Jesus. He, he says this, verse 2, with all humility. I did a, a word study in the Greek on the word all there, and it, and it means all, right? Not 10%, but all, right? All of it. Because that's what you're going to need. All of it, and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Eager. Now he's getting involved with your heart. You should be eager. He doesn't say you should tolerate. He doesn't say you should just kind of do it because it's expected of you. You should kind of grudge through it. He says be eager. I can't make my heart be eager about being unified with that person. <laughs> Welcome to Christianity. See, everybody else would do the best they could. They'd tolerate it. They'd avoid it. They, they'd figure out some scheme. They would, they would curate their Facebook so they didn't have to deal. But no. How are we going to be eager to be uni unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ who we disagree with? We're going to get to that. He says that's what you're called to. Why? Because his glory is on, it's at stake. Not your reputation. It's bigger than that. This is what God's family is called to be and to do. And it doesn't always mean we live in the ideal of it. In fact, rarely do we do that. It is the target that we're aiming at. This is where we, we can be more like this as we're changed into the image of Jesus individually. That can happen corporately as well. It means we work toward that end. We recognize it's not in our power and we don't give up on each other. The pathway to family unity is through recognition of weakness, not declaration of strength. It's in our inability that opens us up to the power of the Holy Spirit. Only He is capable of transforming our, our hearts and our souls to give us an eagerness to maintain unity. Because under that, I, I don't want to maintain unity. Well, that person, if you're honest about it, if you're not honest, you're like, well, I don't know if we really, you know, we have differences of opinion. But inside, you're like, that's crazy. Right? And, and that's the way that, that, that comes out, and that's got to be put before the Lord. To, 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 he can really change our desire for peace in our relationships, regardless of our differences, whether that's political ideologies, parenting style, economic status, intelligence level, whatever the, the difference is. Just like brothers, I've got a couple of them in my family, younger young, little, little boys that are brothers, that they will just fight and fight and fight at home. But if somebody messes with their brother, they're like, hold on. It's my family. Why is that? Why is that hardwired in there? You're going to disagree about this, but when you start messing with the things we don't disagree about and aren't okay disagreeing about, like my brother, that's our blood, you don't mess with him. Or if you're a Christian, you're like, here's what we don't fight about, who Jesus is. That Jesus is the only way to heaven. That there's a heaven and there's a hell. There's a Trinitarian God. Those, we don't fight over those things. These other things, we'll discuss these. We can disagree with each other, but that does not mean, by definition, divisiveness. And, and, and unity doesn't mean uniformity. It means that we realize what makes us Christian is more important than any other disagreement we may have here. Because it's about Jesus' blood and his glory and not our own. And so the first step to family unity is to enjoy the presence and the love our Father personally, then and only then
can you extend it? You cannot give away what you do not possess. Even if somebody says, I require this of you, you've got nothing. 1 John 4, 20 says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. He did not mince words. He did not sugarcoat that. <laughs> it's just like, you can't say I love God and hate your brother. You're a liar. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says it is impossible to love God and hate your brother. It's the opposite of John 13, where, where, where people see us loving each other, and by that they know that we love Jesus. It's kind of the converse, right? Because they, that's the only way that's going to work. As different as we are, the only way that we actually are going to love each other the way that Jesus loves us is by experiencing the love he has for us, as different as we are from him. <laughs> See how that works? And so we go, wow, how in the world did you ever accept me and reconcile me? Oh, it was through your death, burial, and resurrection. It was through the price that you paid. And so through that, that is how I am to see the lens of other people that disagree with me. And I don't do that. I categorize them. I like them to the degree that they reflect what I like to me. <laughs> and in fact, it's really self-absorbed to say, I really like you because you're like me in these areas. And so that's where we really get along I bet we could be a great MC if I could be with everybody that looks and smells and, and thinks like I do. I threw smells in there. I'm not sure why. I apologize. <laughs> Maybe we all have an indi- a distinct smell. I'm not sure. It may not be sinful at all. All right. So how do we care for people that are different from us? Because you're, you're called to. Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's the right answer. But what does that look like? How do we flesh that out? How do we go from here with that to living, living that out? Because here's what it does. It requires hard work. This is sanctification stuff. This is being conformed to the image of Jesus that, that we participate in. Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. He didn't say, sit there and I will bless you with all wisdom. It just doesn't work like that. God provides not only the ends, and he doesn't, the ends but also the means of how that works. It requires being real and transparent before God about the real state of our hearts. It requires courage and intentionality to be honest with God and to pray prayers that sound like this. Lord, I I know that you call me to love this person, but I don't really love fill in the blank. People that that wear masks, people that don't wear masks, my, my, my kids right now, my spouse right now, my boss. Fill in the blank. I know that I should, but I don't. Stated belief, I know that I should love them. I am called to love them. I want to love them. Actual belief, I don't. How you live and what you say and what you think, feel, and desire betray your actual beliefs for what you think your stated beliefs are. I know I should. And so the fight in between here is faith and where we fight and say, help me. I believe, but help my unbelief. You've got to put that stuff before the Lord. And own it. Here's my brokenness. <laughs> I didn't even see it before. I just thought I was right. I wanted them to come along with me. I wanted to prove myself. I've done the research over here, Lord. Well, if they would just come along and see what I see, they would know what I know, and then we would be okay. You've got to put that before the Lord. He doesn't care that you're right. It may be important, whatever it is. This, this requires time and abiding in Christ and resting and being filled and satisfied by him. It doesn't just 
happen like that. You're going to be changed into his image more and more and more, and then that's going to spill onto others. This is the path of true change by grace. It's much easier to think that we're better than we are. And so I'd say, look into your heart. What do you really think and feel about those that are in your missional community, in your DNA, in your immediate family, in your marriage, your spouse, your kids, your next-door neighbor, your, your classmate, your teacher, whatever? People that really rub you the wrong way. What's in your heart there? Take it out and put it before the Lord. There's a bumper sticker that says, I love Jesus, I just can't stand his church. I, I get the sentiment. I feel it a lot. Trust me, I'm around a lot of church people. But Jesus says this, I died for my bride. And how are we to justify ourselves to think any less? Family, uh, God never said he was going to call us to do easy things. It's not in first opinions I looked. In fact, he didn't call us to do things that didn't really require any power outside of ourselves. If you can live a life that does not require power from outside of yourself, I would argue you're probably not living a Christian life. It may be a religious life. It may, may, may be a moralistic life. But it will not be a truly, authentically vintage Christian life. Because God calls you to do things that you cannot do without his help. Why? Because he wants glory and he doesn't want you to get it. Why? Because the way he made us to construct the creation of our souls, the fabric of our being, gets joy when he gets all the glory. And so for him to enable us to have joy, we must praise him. That's how that works. That's the math of the kingdom. That's why in Psalm, like in the Psalms, as you get toward Psalm 140, 150, it's just praise him with this, praise him with a timbrel, praise him with a drum, praise him with a lyre, praise him, praise him, praise him, command to praise, command to praise. Why do you have to command me to praise? Because this is what is true and right and good, and then when you see him, your response will be that, and then you will realize this is where true satisfaction is, and it's a circular effect of praise and glory that will echo out through the universe for all times and all peoples. That's how Christianity works. In, in the big macro picture. And we're just in the little micro right now. Oh, I'm really happy if I could just get that job, if I could just get this house, if I could get this car, this relationship. And we're like, oh, and we settle for things that make us happy until they rust. How well are you loving those around you? I don't mean tolerating them. I don't mean avoiding them. I mean loving them like Jesus loves you. The love of God lavished upon us is not for us alone. You're not created to be a cul-de-sac of God's love, and he loves you individually. Aren't you special? That's true. Don't stop there. You are a conduit of God's love. A family that is functioning well is inviting and attractive to those who are not in it. They want in. They want to be a part of it. And if we're healthy, we're not going to be known for what we're against we're going to be known for what Jesus was known for. Loving the marginalized, the downtrodden, those outside, on the outside, the, the poor, the unpopular. For healing relationships and deliverance from the traps of the world. For generosity and hospitality. We're going to be known for, for joyful and celebration, uh, celebrations. We're going to be known for sharing of sorrows with one another. We're going to be known as a safe place where all are welcome who recognize their need for God. You will be approachable. 
we will be sitting on a hill. A beautiful garden of Eden, an oasis in the desert of a dark and broken world, displaying God's intention for his people while being empowered by his spirit until he comes again. That's why we're called to be family. It's not about God saying, be family. And we're like, yes, sir, we're family. It's bigger than that. We're called to be family to glorify God in the world by displaying his power and majesty and splendor and grandeur through how we love one another. The whole earth declares the glory of the Lord. The trees clap their hands, the mountains shout, the flowers bloom, birds sing, waters crash, and people love. So let's turn to Jesus in dependence so that we will be the family that he's called us to be. All right, let's pray together. Worship team is going to come up here. I just want you to spend two or three minutes just praying. Number one, just spend a minute. Take your time. And if this bleeds over into the song or in communion, that's fine. Spend a moment just being honest where whether you really view those around you as family. Not like family, but as family. Because that's actually who you're going to be with eternity and in some senses they're more real than your biological family if length of time and duration is any bearance on that and then two number two thank God that he delights in you because of Jesus don't take that for granted don't be entitled to that don't abuse grace just be thankful because we don't deserve that (laughs) Let's pray. Father, as we sit before you in silence and just take a moment to look at our hearts, to put it before you, to say whether or not we, can we be honest and say, I I know I'm called to love this person, but honestly, Lord, in me, what I find is enmity. I find hate. Not only that, but I feel like I can justify it. Father, would you, by your spirit, just, just claw that out? Help us be honest about what we find, but realize that that we don't sit around and beat ourselves up, but that you come in and through your spirit restore us. That you give us the eyes that you have to see those. That we can love people the way that you loved us. That that is possible, but only by your spirit. That we would love each other in such a manner that people would see that and think, do you know Jesus? Holy Spirit, only you can do that, that work in us. Individually, corporately, as a people, we ask for you to move among us, that you would heal, that you would mend, that you would do a work in our hearts, that we would desperately cry out for you as your children. Father, I pray that your name is blessed.